Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is Matt Lavery. Matt Lavery, and how are you? <laughs> Very well, Matt. Very well. I am reeling from being back in the office at work uh, for the first time in a long time, and it, I got a bit of a shock. Let's. We'll get the wheel spinning. It's off. It's off. I was a bit shocked because I was about an hour sat on my computer reorientating myself and in the top corner of the computer a little picture a little icon of i'll tell you in a minute the topic for this episode <laughs> is this week we've got a rule breaker ian rule breaker rule breaker we're talking about rule breakers the little picture on the top of the corner of my screen was a little picture of you oh, from the old days when we were colleagues <laughs> now could i say that I didn't put that picture there. <laughs> Nor did I. That's the weirdest thing. Well, that's nice. After a long period off to see see a picture of your old pal. It is. I got a bit emotional. And uh, let's just say the picture's still there, Matt. Oh, so. Leave it up. Leave it up. So rule breaker, Ian, you're going to take this one today? Rule breaker, yes, Matt. This one will interest all our Australian listeners, Matt, as well as those fans of the fine sport of race walking race walking don't bend your knees <laughs> <laughs> that's the slogan isn't it <laughs> it's uh it's a motto for life yeah. i think but um yeah race walking it's an interesting one it's Matt, a bizarre because... sport team can we just say that first of all before you get started with it can we, can we talk about race walking Absolutely, because it gets a lot of abuse, race walking, because I don't think people quite understand it, because all sports, like on the track or field or whatever, are all about the, the maximising exertion. They're all about completely cutting loose and putting as much power and energy as you can into something. Whereas race walking is so counterintuitive, because you're walking in a a race <laughs> so yeah it just doesn't make any sense does it <laughs> like if you're in a rush if you're in a hurry then run yeah somehow they've created a category in between where you race walk now i'm i'm quite a quick walker myself i've been known to um leave people behind walking i don't know what it is i just I feel a desire uh to walk very quickly but I haven't perfected a technique of the Olympic race walkers, which it almost looks like they're, they're clinging onto like a, a credit card in between their buttocks. It's, there's more to it than just how counterintuitive it is, because, you know, anybody who's ever been late for anything ever knows that if you bend your knees and get your feet off the floor, you're going to go faster. Um <laughs> Is the first thing. But secondly, is how ridiculous they look. They look ridiculous. As you say, it's like they're, they're clenching something between their buttocks there, swinging the hips out, you know, like mad scones. They just, it, I don't know, it just doesn't quite work, does it? Yeah, they, they kind of look bow-legged. And part of the reason is uh, for that technique is to they have to have uh, contact with the ground at all time at least one foot in contact and when they're in contact the, that leg should be straight um so it and also the other thing about race walking is you need to keep a straight line you want to take the you know the shortest route possible 
And so the level of discipline, Matt, I looked at a lot of photographs and video footage researching this story. And something really struck me about race walkers, very, very different from any other athletes, is they look so stressed. <laughs> like <laughs> That's a, you know, that's you, a you great see, point. Yes, they do look very anxious and stressed. They look stressed and you can see the exertion of brain power trying to concentrate. This we know when people say sport is a discipline, race walking is obscene. Like race walking is a convent. It, the discipline is so strict. <laughs> like the their faces look um really concentrated and stressed because with race walking you have in the Olympics you have eight judges watching the race and if you get three red cards um what's called lifting which it means that you've got both feet off the floor if the judge sees that then you're going to get a red card if you get three red cards you're disqualified out of the race which is a big ask isn't it over 20 kilometers or 10 kilometers that you're not going to when you're trying your best to go as fast as you can but maintaining the technique where you can yeah, just but, keep but, one foot on but, the floor. But that in itself, just I'm really going in hard on the race walkers. But doesn't that <laughs> doesn't that prove that you know you there's something so ridiculous about it that even at the highest possible level, they're still likely to foul up to at least three times because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why? Like you know, if you leave your lane in in any other you know in a running race, you know, in foul in that way or. You'd just be disqualified straight off the bat. You know, you, you, you're not allowed false starts anymore. You're in the sprint races. You're straight out. Um, yeah, well, even some of the best race walkers in history have been disqualified many times from top class races because obviously they're great speed walkers, but they're on the limit. Like you have to be on that limit to win. So, of course, they're going to get, you know, the best speed walkers and race walkers are going to be at least, you know, if they don't pick up two warnings in a race, they'll probably be thinking, I should try a bit harder because they need to be right at the limit, don't they, to win. The weird thing as well, Matt, is that of the eight judges, you have a chief judge who actually uh, gives the message to the to the walkers. But the judges, they don't use any technology. Like, if they use technology, you'd probably wouldn't even get anybody finishing the race. But all they do is they can only um, judge by their naked eye whether there's been a, a fault. That is so strange. What an odd, odd <laughs> sport. One thing I would say in, in favour of race walking, their times are phenomenal. So quick. Matt, it's unreal. Like, some of the, the men are doing, like, four-minute kilometres. Yeah, that that was it. Which a is... few years ago, a few of my friends were joking with us, saying that I should enter race walking, because I was crap at, at everything else. And uh, we looked into it, and they walk faster than I can run. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous yeah. what these guys are doing. Yeah, they might do like a, a 10 kilometer walk in 40 minutes, yeah. which would put you in the top 5% of your local 10K race easily. Yeah. It's 
madness. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was it. I realised I'm about as quick as they are when I run and they're walking. It's like, yeah, forget this. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> yeah. to the Olympics. <laughs> I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realise as well, because when you say race walking, people think, well, anyone can do that. Yeah, but no, no. It, it is, it's um, the only thing that you could kind of add into race walking is like, you know, having shopping bags or like, you know, just having <laughs> luggage. You know, you've got to run across the airport terminal with luggage. Give them a cup of coffee know, they're not allowed to spill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pint of beer. Yeah, you could actually nice. Actually, you know what would be good is a, is a round of drinks on a tray yes. or four, four pints with only two hands. <laughs> that would be... <laughs> And that you could just you could get judged at the end by how many you get bonus points for how many milliliters you've managed to save. Like but um, look, there's so many possibilities. But Matt, race walking, despite all the abuse and stick that uh, it gets, and it, from us, from us, yeah, we just to spend the last ten minutes slagging it. <laughs> You're now going to tell us why it's good. <laughs> no, it's it's a great discipline and. It exists there for... What's interesting is that it's such a discipline that I don't think there's many race walkers who transfer into other sports. You know, like um, an 800-meter runner does the 1,500 or a sprinter might do the long jump. Mm. Like, there's no crossover there. It's just like you just walk and then that's it because it's such a unique discipline. But this story is about an Australian speed walker Jane Savile. Now, Jane Savile is uh, from Sydney, Australia. She's born in 1974, and she comes from the kind of archetypal Australian family. Actually, I say archetypal, I mean annoying Australian family, because you know one of those families where they're all just good at sports, yeah, all active, so good, yeah. and they, they can just do like, you know, I'll just go rowing at the weekend, and then I can just come back and play a bit of lacrosse. <laughs> And then they, they they beat you at snooker, and you're just like, oh come on, just <laughs> just leave it out, you know. So she comes from a you know a, a very kind of athletic and active family, and uh, she finds the discipline of of speed walking to the point where she gets so good at it, Matt, that in 1996 she qualifies for the Atlanta Games in the USA, and at the time she enters the 10 kilometer road walk. And she gets like a mid-range finish, but she's she's only twenty-one at this point. Mm. So is that quite young for a road walker? Is it? I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know at which point your mates your say to you, "You walk a bit funny." I, I've I've been watching. Uh, we all ran for the bus, but you walked really bandy-legged and quick. <laughs> so maybe this could be for you. I think it's one of those things. Is if you're from an active family an athletic family i wouldn't know know about some sports you know like i didn't know about like um shooting or like cross-country skiing when i was growing up so it was never an option but if you've got a sport and family maybe there's a knowledge there that you say well if you're not good at this try this and if you're not good at that try this and maybe i don't know if it's a third or fourth or fifth sport it's like no you're actually pretty good at feels unlikely it was our first (laughs) it does Yeah, you can't imagine her on her sixth birthday saying, can I have some walking shoes? Can I have some shoes, please? (laughs) Yeah. Posters on a wall of all the famous walkers that have gone 
just doesn't doesn't feel plausible, does it? <laughs> it's yeah. So maybe when she was younger, she would ask for a sausage stroll. Oh, Here we go. What? That's awful, Ian. Edit that out. <laughs> a sausage stroll. God. Uh, dear, I'm sure she ate very healthily, but. <laughs> Look, she gets into a Atlanta game, she finishes mid-range, happy days. But, of course, Matt, what she's really looking at here is her homecoming Sydney. Are granted the 2000 Olympics. And it's known, Sydney Olympics is known as the greatest Olympics in history to Australians. <laughs> Like, even in news reports now, if they, like, talk about the Sydney Olympics, they always go, the greatest Olympic Games ever. And I'm like, I've never heard that before. (laughs) Are you sure? Are you sure you've got that right? Because it was possibly not even the greatest Olympic Games in Australia, because Melbourne had it in 56, (laughs) and that was a riot. (laughs) So, um, anyway, she's got her eyes on a 2000 Sydney Olympics Bearing in mind she's from Sydney, Matt. It's her home turf, homecoming, and she's in the 20-kilometer road walk here, race walk here. She is doing pretty well when the race starts off. She's holding her own close to the front pack. But in this race, as I said, Matt, to be a winner, you've got to skate right close to the edge of what's legal. Mm. And... One by one, her biggest competitors start to get disqualified. Even, and this is after like nine kilometers, some of them have already gone. Wow. The favorite, an Italian called Peroni, and she was larger than life. Peroni, she, uh, <laughs> she, she was carrying four pints back from the yeah. bar. <laughs> <laughs> She gets disqualified, and so the favourite is out. And so this field has really opened up for Jane Savile. Her biggest competitor left is Wang Liping, who is uh, the Chinese champion. She is about 30 metres behind Jane Savile. Jane Savile takes this lead on home turf at the Sydney Olympics, her homecoming She's walking into the stadium. <laughs> now, the amazing thing is, is Jane Savile, she's on the road that leads into the stadium, but the road that led into the stadium at Sydney is quite a steep decline. Yeah. So it's going right down and a ramp and then up into the stadium. When she gets on that decline, she starts walking and looks up at, she doesn't start walking, she's already walking, but she looks up at the top of the stadium and she can hear the noise and she's thinking to herself, that's for me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and she's like, there's like over 80,000 people packed in the stadium. Bear in mind, Matt, Kathy Freeman had just won the gold the night before and she's thinking to herself, I'm going to be like Kathy. Oh, that's cool. You can see that she's kind of getting a bit, letting it get a bit of a way with herself because one of the commentators is like, 
imploring her to slow down. He's like, just take a bit off, you know, calm down. Just a couple of hundred meters away from going into that stadium. And then you do one lap around the track, 400 meters to gold. And as she's on the slope into the stadium, a little Italian man pops out. Now, this Italian man looks like he's on his holidays. He's got like beige chinos and he's got the Sydney Olympic polo shirt and a wide-rimmed hat. And he puts a red paddle up. Uh-oh. Now, that's her third red paddle. She is disqualified. <sighs> Meters from the stadium's entrance. Not even got into the stadium. And this Italian guy has shown her the paddle. And she has lost it she has lost it physically metaphorically administratively (laughs) she has lost she's out she's she's put her hands on her head she's put her hands in the air she's she starts walking away somewhere it doesn't seem where she's going she's just completely beside herself that she's lost and these images are being beamed across australia and into the stadium. So presumably there's no no right to sort of, you know, ref- like uh, complain to the officials and sort of challenge the official and say, no, you know, is that there's nothing like that. It's just you get your head and that's it. It's over. Yeah, generally speaking, there is a procedure to, um, to you know, go back and review a decision or something. But in race walking, when an athlete gets a third... They know if it's justified. Right. So they, they'll just jump out of the race rather than if she would have finished the race and the decision would have been retrospective, then perhaps you can go through the channels of, um, you know, debating it. But there was absolutely no, like even um, her coach and things afterwards, there was no question that the judges had done the right thing here. But that didn't stop a whole nation wanting to be mean to this Italian guy who was the chief judge on the day, which it's quite amazing about this story because she's out of this race. But for the judge, and you've got to remember that for the judge, it's it's their Olympics too. It's the height of their career. Yeah. Like this guy, his name was Lamberto Vacci, and this was his first task of being a chief judge at Olympics. He only comes from a small town in Italy of about 500. And can you imagine them watching his big moments as well? Yeah. But of course, Matt, history is written for the Sydney Olympics. History is largely written by Australians. <laughs> now, now, the thing is, Matt, is that, of course, for Lamberto Vacci, the issue wasn't um, getting Jane Savile, who, remember, wasn't a favourite for the race anyway. But it was actually... Um, Vachi had had to disqualify his fellow countryman, Peroni, mm. earlier on in the race, which had caused a huge disappointment in his home country in Italy. Integrity, though, Ian. The integrity of Vachi, famously. <laughs> well, that's a story very rarely told, that... Actually, Jane Savile had the way paved for the opportunity of gold because this Italian guy had 
shown her the red paddle, but he'd shown it to the favourite of the race, Peroni, who'd been disqualified. Uh, she'd picked up three faults uh, in very quick succession, middle of the race. And it's it's quite amazing as well that the chief judge, um, he was pretty devastated that he'd had to give out this red paddle. It kind of felt nice. And particularly the circumstance, he understood the gravity of this Australian being meters from the stadium and how having to deliver that bad news must have been dreadful. Interestingly as well, Matt, in the men's race of the 20-kilometer race walk, which had taken place a little bit earlier, the winner of the gold, Bernardo Segura from Mexico, he had won the race and he was on the phone or waiting for a call by the side of the track from the president of Mexico. <laughs> nice. When he got a third paddle. No! What? <laughs> what did he get it for? Yeah. So from for lifting, for having two feet off the ground. So he, what had happened is that uh, Vachi, he had not been, he'd actually heard about the fault, but he wasn't quick enough to get make up the ground to deliver before to deliver the third paddle for disqualification before the race had finished so the only reason Vachi could give Saville the red paddle before she got in a stadium is because he'd adjusted his position because he'd learned his lesson from the Cigaro incident where this guy is literally on the phone on the phone line to the president of Mexico congratulating him on his for on his Olympic Sydney gold Olympics gold taking off him. Oh wow. He's like, hang on, hang on, Mr. President. Some fellow wants to speak to me. Ah. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> Imagine. So, so that again is kind of a bit of a story lost in Australian folklore because these two people were in Australia. How do these guys um, get around these judges? Because surely they're not walking any quicker. Are they allowed to? They're allowed to bend their knees. Are they? Is that how you are like? The judges <laughs> yeah, yeah, can yeah, just yeah, jog yeah. past them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they have the eight judges, um, but it's the chief judge who delivers the bad news. He's the only so one. he doesn't even. Yeah, he doesn't even make the decision. So he's just the messenger. <laughs> That's so weird. Um, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's really strange, and also that the fact, as I said before, that loss of contact is just by the naked eye only, is such a remarkable kind of feat. And and if you think the race walkers need to concentrate, my goodness, it must be hypnotic trying to be a race walker judge as well, especially when they're in the pack and all their legs are just swinging. It's impossible. Yeah. So. The interesting thing is, is that Wang Leping, who was just behind Saville, 30 metres behind on the way into the stadium, she sees Saville drop out the race and she walks into the stadium and walks to gold. Now, she takes out gold legit. She's the gold medalist. But the sad thing is, is that none of the cameras were following her. No, yeah. Everyone's on Savile. So they're following on Savile. So all the footage is of this distraught Australian, devastated that she's out, whilst Wang Leping is in one of the greatest moments of her life. No one's interested. (laughs) It's like that's like the footnote to the story. So it's a really curious um, 
event, really curious story. Uh, Jane Savile, she went on to get married five weeks later to Olympic cyclist Matt White. Um, her sister, Jane Savile's sister, happens to be an Olympic Olympic race walker as well. <laughs> and it's interesting the um, the kind of the fallout from it. There was a huge um, kind of fallout in Australia, massive story you know everyone was talking about race walking which was you know the pubs full of chat about the rights and wrongs of race walking but Savile went on to win at the Athens Olympic Games four years later she medaled bronze and you know she was questioned about it it wasn't gold but she said you know what I didn't win any medals last time I'm absolutely ecstatic with this bronze medal uh she walked a time uh of just over one hour and 29 minutes for 20 kilometers. Yeah, that's so quick, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is so quick. Yeah, so good. It's like just like 45 minute 10Ks, like just shy of. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and she also went to the um, Beijing 2008 Olympics where she uh, finished 19th. Um, but she was actually in a world teams event in 2008 in Russia. And she's talking to some of her um, fellow race walkers and some organizers. And one of the people who she was chatting away to, her colleague said to her, you don't know who that is, do you? And she's like, who is it? It's Lamberto Vacci. <laughs> your boy. She said, he, he's the guy who get disqualified you from your Olympic gold. And uh, she said, we had a real laugh about it, had a picture taken. She apparently Savile had tried to buy the, the red paddle after the Olympics because she thought, oh, I can't have gold. I've got to have that oh, paddle. Yeah, nice. And the Olympics uh, organizers just said, we, we haven't got it. And so she just never had it. And it, it transpires that in 2008, she finds out that actually Vachi, it's his own personal red paddle that he carries around with him. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so he still had it, and she had a picture with the red paddle with him. And so it was really nice because after the Olympics, after she got disqualified, they said, oh, do you need anything? And her response was, I need a gun to shoot myself. And that was kind of a quote that was um, probably uh, dramatically kind of taken out of context and people were, you know, uh, some part of the media were suggesting that she was suicidal, all this sort of stuff. But um, she is much more level-headed about it. And I think, you know, the fact that she could meet Vachi those years later and have a good uh, laugh with him and have her picture taken. And uh, and also, I think the Australian team and the coaches and things were really dignified in that they never questioned the race judges. Mm. They said there's not, they explicitly came and said there is no question that they're doing their job effectively and we just got to take it on the chin. So it's a, it's a real, a really amazing story, Olympic story of, you know, something so close. It seems cruel, Matt, to call this rule breaker because I think it's just almost impossible to race walk and break the rules but you would be you would be very good at Vachi's right hand man going well she broke the rules that's all it says we all gotta stick to them (laughs) oh that's brilliant and it seems so weird that you know the whole sport is kind of predicated on what you can't do rather than what you can do like every other part of the olympics is like oh can you jump higher 
can you jump further? Can you run faster? And this is like, can you not lift both feet off the floor? Yeah. <laughs> can you please Sometimes. keep your knees straight? <laughs> strange sport. But- so that is the story, Jane Savile. Rule breaker. Yeah, strange sport, but great story, Ian. Thank you very much for that. And uh, thank you very much uh, to you, listener, for, for tuning in again to the greatest sports stories ever told. Uh, please do get in touch with the show if you've got any suggestions. Uh, you can reach us uh, via email at thewheelofsport at gmail.com or on Instagram or Twitter at uh, thewheelofsport. And please share with your friends and leave us a review. It really does help. See you, Matt. Thanks so much. And um, I'm off to uh, find a, an old Blockbuster video card. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> <laughs>